So I've been here for 20 years and I still forget that when we get that little hint of spring, I forget that it's not genuinely spring. And it's just hard to train my brain that winter is not over. And I'm like, I think this is it. I think we're gonna have a short winter and an early spring this year. And every time I get disappointed. So we're gonna be talking about disappointments today. So that is a nice lead in. But um, this is the week where we're going to be finishing up Second Corinthians. I know we've kind of done a quick run through of it. Hopefully you can maybe spend a little more time maybe over the summer looking at it, but it's just a great book. Obviously we know it's not Paul's first letter to this church, but it's been really enjoyable to study it with you ladies. Um, this is our last week of Second Corinthians. Next week is Ash Wednesday. So there will be uh, no women's Bible study officially. If you guys wanna meet on your own or go to somebody's house that you are welcome to do that, but there will be no childcare. And in the evening is the Autumn Ridge Ash Wednesday service at 6.30. So if you'd like to um, start preparing for the Easter season by attending that, that would be wonderful. And then we will come back again on February 29th and we will be doing this Bible study by Kelly Minter. You guys are so good. You're so good. Yes, correct. March 1st. See, we'll already be in March. It'll be like spring, I'm sure. There'll be like no more snow. It'll be the Easter season. It'll be lovely. Okay, Finding God Faithful with Kelly Minter is what we're going to be studying on March 1st. But you can start even working on it now since you're going to have next week off. This is um, a study on the life of Joseph. I've already been doing this with some neighbors. It's an excellent study. And I got to be honest with you, the homework is not bad at all. And I even sometimes do several days at a time. Um, you know, there's no scolding on that to work ahead just because I like to study it like in one setting. And that's just the way my life rolls as if I have a few hours, I just want to get going on it and dig in. It's a great study and it is going to involve some videos. And again, her name is Kelly Minter. She's going to be a speaker at Devoted Hearts next year. So, and she's, she was here a few years ago as well. She's an excellent Bible teacher, but today we are going to bring a conclusion to our study on 2 Corinthians, and it's been a wonderful journey. So much of this letter to the Church of Corinth reminds, reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. Unfortunately, we have learned that his strength is not made perfect in our own strength or our worldly accomplishments or financial successes. Unfortunately, the route that he most often uses is weakness. He uses suffering and he uses trials. And we know that they are not good in and of themselves. We're not rejoicing when they are happening to, happening to us, but we know that, that that most often is the means that God uses to make his glory known. And I had a little equation on here. Less of me equals more of him. Many times throughout the letter to Corinthians, Paul talks of boasting about his trials. And the word boasting is kind of weird for me, even if you're talking about your trials, but we know it's not because Paul just has a great story to tell and he wants to boast about it because let's face it, if he had a scrapbook of his life, it would be amazing. His purpose is more so that he can boast about the all sufficient grace of God. His purpose is so that he can boast about the strength that God has given him. How even in the midst of suffering, suffering, the gospel still goes on, and maybe it goes on even better, stronger, 
more impactful. We see how with the Macedonians, he says, even in their severe trial, they experienced extreme joy and overwhelming generosity. And that's not because of them, it's because of God. So do not get this concept of boasting about trials confused with doing a humble brag. Do you guys know what a humble brag is? Have you ever experienced that? Okay, I'm gonna give you some examples, but these are not um, true stories of me or our household, but these may be just fabricated stories of things that I have maybe heard people tell me something like this. Okay, like they might say, life has been hard. Ever since COVID, my kids have become ferocious readers and I can just not keep up with them. They have been reading the Bible cover to cover and then they want to discuss the Bible with me. The problem is that I don't really know all the answers. And to be honest, sometimes I just want to watch a movie with them, but they insist, they insist on more family Bible time, right? So can you pray for me about that? Yeah. It's so precious. I'll add you to my prayer list. Okay. Um, okay, here's another one. My husband loves doing house projects. He just can't get enough of them. So right now we're going through a kitchen remodel and I am not able to cook at all. My commercial oven is on back order, but should hopefully come next week. Unfortunately, we have to be gone when the custom cabinets arrive. So we're going to Cabo for a few days, but I hope the upcoming snowstorm does not delay our flights. It's like, I'll be praying for you as you go to Cabo. <laughs> oh, in my other job, those are true stories. Okay, a humble brag is more about us. It's not really boasting about our trials. It's more about boasting. It's when we frame our troubles in such a way that makes us look good and makes others feel bad. You know, when somebody talks to me like that, I walk away and I feel really pathetic and sorry for myself and quite honestly jealous. When we boast about trials as Paul does, we talk about things that are truly challenging hard to get through. And we say, except for the grace of God, whose strength and power carries us through the valleys. The attention is not on us, but on God. It is our goal that when we share our troubles in our small groups or with our friends, that others will not walk away feeling bad because we have given them a laundry list of everything that aches in our heart. They should walk away maybe feeling encouraged, because we say, you know what, this is what I'm going through and I don't understand it and it's so hard, but I know that God is good and I know he has a plan for this and I'm digging into the word and I'm drawing near to him that I still don't understand. And that comfort that we are receiving, even in the midst of our trials, that can flow over to others and give them comfort. Maybe we share as Paul did that we are being hard pressed and struck down but that we are continuing to seek God and his truths and his word. We know we will all have troubles, but we also know that God has already overcome every trouble in this world. And we look forward to the day when that will be revealed. We know God's strength is made perfect in weakness. We just need to believe it. In the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, you might remember that Paul shares that we are comforted through trials that can overflow to comfort others. So I've asked these ladies to share this morning. I've actually asked them to boast about their weakness, to make much about God and his strength in their lives. 
And even if you can't relate to their challenges, because that's something else that we do, right? When we hear someone talking, we immediately compare ourselves and we say, oh my goodness, they have been through so much. That makes like my stress throat or maybe my child potty training or maybe this issues I'm dealing with a family member seems so small because let's face it we can't compare ourselves to Paul we honestly can't compare ourselves to Savea we really we just we we don't that's not a winning solution is to compare ourselves because then the other problem is sometimes we look at other people and we like seriously this is their prayer request I would love to have a day of this you know and so that doesn't work because again we're focusing on the problem we're focusing on them we're not focusing on God because I've been through stuff that I look back and I think wow and to think I thought that was challenging five years ago and here I'm in this situation and this is tough and um it's not about comparing because God is going to give us the grace that each of us needs to get through it. And we just have to trust that. So I want to um, just give a welcome first to Jana, who's going to boast about her struggles or whatever it may be and make much about God. Good morning, ladies. Um, so as Angie told you, my name is Jana, and up on the screen, you can see my husband. Oh, now you can't see, I'm sorry. Um, you can see my husband, Dan, my son, Ali, who is six, my son, Henry, who is four, and our tiny baby, Ben, who is now two and a giant. So that's our crew. Um, so this week, we're talking about a time when we were weak and when God showed up. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my first year of marriage. <laughs> um, Dan and I met at a Bible college in England. It was in a castle. It was beautiful. And then we spent two months in Austria at another Bible college. And that was also gorgeous. It was in a ski resort community in the summer. Just like the sound of music is where we were. It was amazing. Um, but after that beautiful year, we had to deal with the very real threat to our relationship that was the Atlantic Ocean. Um, my husband is British. I am from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Those are not a very easy commuting distance. Um, so we, we were in the era where Skype was an option, but um, talking on the phone was not an option unless we wanted to spend hundreds of dollars on calling cards. Um, I can tell you that when COVID hit, we were the first people to be done with Skype. People asked us if we wanted to Skype. The answer was no, we never wanted to Skype again. Um, after six months apart, we got engaged. And then six months later, we got married. Now, many of you probably have people in your life who have had to immigrate or know of someone who has had to immigrate or have seen the show 90 Day Fiance. Um, but there's two options when you marry someone who's not from here. You can choose to get a fiance visa, which as soon as it's approved, you have 90 days to get married, or you can get married and spend a year apart and wait for that visa to come through. Um, Dan, was in Dan was in school to finish up uh, becoming a teacher. I was in school to finish up my degree as well. So we couldn't guarantee that once we got a visa approved, we could be somewhere in 90 days. So our only real option 
was to be apart from me for a year after we got married. So that's the choice that we made. We stole time in the summer and at Christmas to be together, but even then I had to go there. Just that's the way the immigration system works. Um, so for a year, we could only talk between the hours of 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., just between class schedules and um, just time zones. That's, that's when we could talk. That was our first year of marriage was two hours a day on Skype. And I cannot tell you how much I just wished that time would be gone. I didn't want that year to exist. I wanted to just blink and it would be over. Luckily, we have a really, really, really good God who works even when we wish we weren't somewhere, even when we're weak enough to want to be gone. Um, God was there when my sister decided to go to the same college and we got to be roommates. And that, re that relationship was one where she was able to encourage me and I was able to encourage her. He was there when we found a church that felt like home and also was just a place where we could serve and where we could be encouraged. He was there when, I'm so sorry, I should have silenced this beforehand. He was there when my parents gave us a tiny car with no heat in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, so that we could get to the grocery store. And as college students, that was so much better than walking. We were so thankful. Um, he was there when I had classmates who I would find in tears in the library and be able to chat with and walk with them through hard moments in their lives. He was there when I left on an airplane and got to chat with someone about why I was absolutely weeping in an airport when I knew I had another, I believe it was 120 days until I got to see Dan again. He was there on lonely nights when I cried and I prayed that the visas would just go through. God chose to work in my weakness. God chose to give us a story that involves distance. And God just really used that time to reassure us that his plan is good, even when we can't see his plan. Thank you, ladies. Good morning. I know a lot of you in here have been attending Autumn Ridge for about 10 years and coming to Bible study for almost that many. Um, I also started working with Savea last year. Uh, my name is Shannon and up here is my first and most important ministry, my husband and kids. We have two boys and two girls that are 11, 9, 8, and 6. And this is our happy place. We love hiking and camping and being outside in nature. And this is us last summer before we went out into the boundary waters for a week. And we don't see a single other person and it's just pristine and it's just my happy place. <laughs> um, so when Angie asked me to share my weakness, my first response was, hmm, I have so many to choose from. <laughs> so, but I decided to speak about my anger. And um, something I've really loved about um, Pastor Rick, he shared about anger and um, that being angry is not a sin, but how we respond to that anger can be. In Proverbs 15, 18, it says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I'm also a perfectionist, 
I'm kind of a control freak, so I could have shared about all those things too. <laughs> but um, when things don't go how I want them to go, I tend to get frustrated. And um, I have four kids, and they don't always do what I want them to do. When I ask them to do it, it takes you know six times, and that's when I sometimes lose my cool. It gets my blood boiling, and <laughs> I also have some extended family. I don't know if any of you have relatives that are diff different than you and it can be really hard to interact and understand what's going through their brain <laughs> and at my best I'm understanding and compassionate but at my worst it's just not very pretty so some of the things that I'm learning is to be relying on God and when I anchor myself to him things go so much better <laughs> um, this requires intentionality and lots of grace I try to start my morning with some Bible time, sometimes 20 or 30 minutes, and sometimes just a couple verses while I'm chugging my coffee down. <laughs> um, I also have Bible verses on my kitchen cabinets to help me, to help remind me when I'm having some struggles. One on my fridge is Psalm 17.3, I am determined not to sin in what I say. And that just helps realign me when I'm having some tough moments because I tend to forget a lot and I need constant reminders. So one of the other ones that I, I try and memorize them, but the memory isn't as good as my kids. They're much better. But uh, in my anger, I will not sin. So maybe some of you can relate, maybe not. But I think um, other things that have helped is mindset and perspective. Um, it's so easy to look at my anger and focus on that situation or that person. But when I shift to the big picture, it's so much easier to extend grace and focus on my relationship with God and with that other person. So one of my absolute favorite verses that I have up in my bedroom that I try and read every morning is Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. So yeah, I have that up in my bedroom. I try and read that every morning and just, this is my desire, this is my goal. <laughs> um, one of the silver linings of my anger has been in apologizing. I was talking to my small group last week and last Wednesday morning, I it was just a rough morning with the kids. We were running around trying to get everything ready and had to sit down in the living room and apologize to them for yelling. And it's been humbling but it's also such a blessing they see me you know being real and being humble and apologizing and it's um just been a really good experience so i'm letting god in to help transform me and continually seeking him to renew my mind and help me to stay focused on what really matters um and i've also taken that opportunity to memorize bible verses with my kids and like i said there's so much like little sponges they're so quick to memorize but um Memorizing James 119, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry has been such a good thing to have in our memory bank and come into mind often. Um, so I know that I need God's strength and that it's not me, but he does require me to take captive my thoughts and to set my mind on things above. And as I let God be in charge, then the Holy Spirit can produce the fruits of the Spirit, self-control and patience and gentleness. And these do not come naturally to me. The biggest thing I can say is to surround yourself in scripture. So thank you guys.
Hello. <clears throat> Uh, my name is Kelsey, and uh, you you might not know me, but if you go to the 8:30 service, you probably know my kids, who are up here. This is my my husband and my daughter Anthem, and my son Desi, and uh, my daughter's five. Desi is two, and they are the best greeters. I think they've kind of taken that title. Um, and so, if you go to the 8:30 service once a month, they will very eagerly uh, greet you and say good morning. So no one knows who we are, me and my husband, but everyone knows them. Um, so we've been here now for about two years in Rochester. Um, so my husband and I, we actually, our 10 year anniversary was last year and we spent most of our first 10 years in of marriage in Michigan. Um, we're both from Minnesota, but we lived in Michigan for 10 years and finally came back, um, during COVID after my son was born. So, um, so the story I want to tell comes from the beginning of our marriage. It was shortly after we um, were married and um, moved to Michigan, which was the first time we'd ever lived in the same state. Uh, and um, we were strapped in student debt, um, just really struggling and um, had this brilliant idea to get out of student debt by buying, uh, borrowing money from a friend and buying a fixer upper house and fixing it up and selling it. And that was how we were going to get out of student debt. Yeah, if you all are excited to know that that was a huge success. Um, it, it, it wasn't. So we had just bought our own house, our, our, our first house earlier that year. And so this is about six months later, we bought this decrepit house for $20,000 in Saginaw, Michigan, because you can do things like that in Saginaw, Michigan. And, um, and we were both working and trying to fix up this house and things were just not going well. And, um, and I just remember this season where things weren't going well with the house. We were already struggling with our student loan payments and, and now alone by this house. And um, we kept having this, it was month after month, not just of this house, but um, of, of different things going on in our, in our personal lives, month after month of major financial blows. And I don't know about you, but I don't do really well when, um, when I financial, you know, when there's just a financial crisis that keeps coming over and over again. And I wasn't doing well. And um, it was the same time in my life where I had been really struggling with, um, with a past spiritual a mentorship relationship that had turned, turned abusive and turned controlling. And it was a relationship that I had struggled um, being able to separate from the influence of that person. So I was struggling with that. I was struggling just with watching our, our, our money disappear and our, our plans not work and not knowing how are we going to get out of this situation. And then on, on top of all of that, I, I was living, I had just moved to, to Michigan and where my husband had all these connections from his school. I didn't know anyone. I knew him. And barely. <laughs> we had a long distance relationship. That was the first time we ever lived in the same state was after we got married. So I was lonely. And I remember just all this stuff. Just I was financially poor, very literally. I was emotionally poor from this relationship that I just couldn't seem to unravel and separate myself from. And I was I was socially poor because I, I didn't know anyone. I left everything behind. I left my family and my friends and my connections and my job and everything that I had, I everything. <laughs> and I remember I finally just it came crashing down on me one 
one evening and I went into our spare bedroom and just and collapsed on the floor and just wept and just cried. And I remember just snuggling myself up in the fetal position and just crying and shouting things at the Lord that are not recommended to be shouted <laughs> at the God who created the world. <laughs> and, um, and I was just weeping and struggling and I felt the, the kindness of the Lord and he, he brought this picture to my mind of, um, of this dry and barren land where the, it was like a desert where the, the earth is cracked because at one time it had been, it had been wet and moist with water, but now there was nothing and it was just dried up. And, and I, you know, I could see myself huddled down in this desert land alone, forgotten. <laughs> That's what I felt like. And there was an enormous tower, just this huge round concrete tower extending as far up as I could see. And I'd crawl up to the base of the tower and kick it <laughs> and throw myself against it. And I'd walk around the base of the tower and I would look for cracks. And what I was looking for, and I, and I, and I knew this picture helped me to understand what was going on in my own heart. I knew that this tower was representing the goodness of God. And I, and I walked around the tower looking for cracks. And, and I wanted so badly to accuse God of not being good. And so I was searching for a reason to be able to say, like, look at how much I'm suffering. I'm suffering here. And you're not good. And I knew And just throwing a proper tantrum. And I'm so thankful that I have a father who is gentle and patient with me when I am, when I am throwing, throwing a tantrum. And doesn't reject me for that. And, and as I walked around this tower looking for holes, like there was nothing, not a crack, not a hole, nothing. This, this tower, this, the goodness of God was impenetrable and unyielding. And even in my suffering, and even not getting what I was praying for, it was. I could not make any accusation against the goodness of God. And I just had to conclude that these things could coexist, that I could be made to suffer extremely, to not know when the answer was going to come, when my suffering would be alleviated. And I could be stuck in that situation and still I could make no accusation against God's perfect, perfect goodness. And I thought, you know, now as a mom, two little kids, <laughs> the story has so much more meaning to me. Because I know, you know, when kids act out so often, it's not so much that they really want whatever they're telling you they want to go bike ride in the street or, you know, whatever it is. They want to know that, they want to know that their parent is good. They want to know that their boundary is going to be enforced and that their parent is going to protect them. And ultimately, they want to know that their parent loves them. So they test the boundaries to see if you're going to be steadfast, right? And this is what I was doing. And I didn't understand it at the time. But I was, I wanted to know. I didn't want to actually find a problem with God's goodness. I wanted to know that my father was good. And that he was going to be there for me. And that I could trust him. And he didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted. 
I can't remember, it was months, it may have been even a year while I was still stuck in that situation before things very slowly began to resolve. Um, but he gave me something so much better than that, that in that um, moment of weakness, and I remember having this impressed on my heart, this thought of, if you can't endure this trial right now, what are you going to do when harder trials come? I thought, well, that's a good point. <laughs> so, to think about that. Um, and, and my father really used that to show me. He didn't give me what I want. Like, I don't give my two-year-old what he wants when he throws a tantrum. But he gave me something so much better. He gave me this, this he solidified my understanding of his goodness and his strength. And that I could count on that despite my situation. That it just didn't matter what was going on with me. It was totally independent of how kind and how good he was. And so often, some trials that I've had since then, I've held on to that lesson. When we battled years later with miscarriage and infertility, I had to go back to that. Do I really believe that my father is good when I'm not getting the answers to my prayer? And he is. And when we had a wayward family member and we're struggling with that, I had to go back to this, that my father is the one who is in control and I can trust him when I don't see what is going to be the salvation in this situation. And recently we had another trial come up, come up in our lives. And it was the first time because I still throw tantrums. <laughs> this was the first time that I did it. I didn't throw tantrum. I, this is the first time that I said, okay, this is really uncomfortable and I don't like it. And I want you to know I don't like it. <laughs> But I know that you are good. And I know that you are for me and that you love me. And I can trust in that. Even if my world falls apart, I can still, I can still trust in that. And I can rest at night because I just know my father has me. And it didn't resolve right away. And it was the first time that I was, I had such complete confidence. I'm so thankful. That my father gave me this, this, this gift of being able to find full assurance, this unyielding goodness. And, and I think what it took, my weakness in those moments were like this gateway that if I had not come to the end of myself and come to the depth of my vulnerability and the end of my self-sufficiency where I couldn't control things anymore, I couldn't fix my life myself, it was beyond me. And it was reaching that point that was a gateway to finding how to, to not just knowing here, but to finding really truly and be able to count on how good he was to the point where now I can trust it without, without needing to test it anymore. I can just trust it. Um, and uh, that's my, that's the end. <laughs> that's the end of my story. <laughs> so, thank you. And now I'm going to meet Doris. Thank you. We, you know what? Here's Kieran. You want to hear the end of that story? No problems. We didn't. So we tried, we, we, we couldn't sell it. So we tried to rent it. And that didn't work. And it was another year of it not renting and not selling. We finally rented it for a few years. And we're like, well, we didn't want to be in the rental business. But I guess we will be. And, um, 
and didn't need to. And then when COVID hit and we tried to come back to Minnesota, finally our tenant who lived there asked to purchase it. We sold it for such a profit that we were able to take that money back and that's the money we used to buy our house here. Yay. Um, so I'm the old one and I'm sleep deprived. So I am actually going to read some of this stuff. <laughs> so here's my, um, oops, I'm in the wrong place. Here's my family. Um, this is our Christmas photo. And so uh, the, on your left is Simon. And then there's Jonathan, um, who you can't see. It's one of my favorite members of the family is Mocha, Jonathan's new dog down a little farther. Uh, there's me, mom, and the guy with the weird pose is my wonderful husband, Chris. So here you go. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from the Brants. So we've raised our boys into adulthood, and now I find myself as a full-time um, caregiver for my mom. She had a stroke 12 years ago, and she has problems with her speech um, profoundly and her mobility. My dad died about 17 months later. And so I promised him that I would take care of her and I have ever since. Now, mom has lived with me and, and Chris for the last eight plus years. And she's fairly independent at first, which was great, but the effects of her stroke and aging uh, really made her weaker and weaker physically and more and more dependent on me on her uh, for her daily needs. As her needs increased, um, she took more and more out of my day uh, for me to take care of her. And that has been really frustrating because, you know, I have a pretty active life and some days I just don't get to do my stuff. Um, I'm with her all the time. Um, I'm exhausted too, because um, I made it sort of my concern that she doesn't fall in the night. And so I wake up with her just to make sure she doesn't fall when she gets up. This past year though, I just finally realized, you know, I just can't do it all. It was getting to be too much. And I feel like, is this burnout? You know, it was really, I was crying. I was, you know, any disappointments would just set me over the edge. And so I thought, you know, I, I've never had burnout before. So this must be what, what it is. Now, Satan loves to pick on me. He knows that I'm easy prey right now. He makes me anxious and impatient thinking of all the pressing things I have to do instead of taking time for mom and making sweet memories. He wants me to let my busyness and frustration drown out God's word for me, which as we all know from Ephesians, that is our offensive weapon, you know, in these kind of times. He uses my exhaustion to see mom, um, mom's daily needs as a burden to me because there were so many of them. He wants me to covet vacations of my friends and family, which makes me resent my situation right now because I really can't leave the house and go on vacation. Now, having said that, I don't want any of you not to tell me about your vacations <laughs> because, because I can't go on vacation. Your vacation becomes my vacation. Um, so it's also a really good opportunity for me um, to practice self-control not let my mind go to envy and resentment uh, because of the situation I'm in. I want to share in your joy. I want to rejoice with those who rejoice, just like the Bible says. So anyways, when there is a withering of the spirit, uh, the fruit of the spirit, such as 
patience, kindness, gentleness, love, peace, and joy, life becomes bitter and self-centered, not the generous and abundant life Jesus promised us. But God is ever merciful and compassionate. His grace is sufficient for me. First, God has graced me with his word, which hits me like a cold bucket of water sometimes to wake me up. He reminds me that mom is to be honored no matter what her state of dependency is. He reminds me that blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. God reminds me of mom's purpose in my life to sanctify me to obedience and service. I have noticed that when I obey him and I put mom first, he blesses both of us, me with peace and mom with improved physical abilities and outlook. He reminds me that these are light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all these troubles. So I need to fix my eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. His word reminds me of my purpose on earth, which is to bear fruit and glorify God. God has also graced mom and me with amazing provisions. Right after the stroke, when I was in the ER with her, she was unconscious. Not knowing what parts of my mom are gone, I prayed and prayed over her, her unresponsive body. I just prayed that God, please don't let my mom forget who you are. Well, she lost a lot of abilities, but she always remembered God. And she always knew her purpose is to glorify him, no matter if she can't move at all. Is that not grace? Mom told me this week, when I was telling her I was gonna give this little talk on grace, she said, God grace me with contentment. Now, this is a woman who is mentally fine. She's trapped in a body that doesn't work so well. And her speech is severely impacted and she is content. Is that not grace, right? He has provided mom with her many material needs as well with helpful in-home therapies like PT and OT, and with caregivers to look after her when I'm not in the house. Now, God has graced me with a wonderful husband without whose support, I could never be doing this. Now, one of his spiritual gifts happens to be heavy lifting, which is so helpful, you know, especially when mom falls and we have to take care of her. Now, um, I, I, God also graced me with dear sisters in Christ with, who lifts my spirits up with food and prayer and gifts and my favorite fix-all, fix which is chocolates. And when I have a mouthful of chocolates, really my troubles are light and momentary. <laughs> I am in a happy place. So thank you for that. Indeed, God's grace is sufficient, gracing me with these lifelines just when I think I'm drowning and I can't make it. It is a hard thing for some of us to know that this thorn will not be taken from our side. As for Paul, this thorn is to keep us humble and dependent on his power. By depending on his power, we can be stronger than ever we could be alone. So when we are weak, then we are strong. 
All praise be to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you today for the steadfast promise that you are our sufficiency, that you are enough when we are in times of trial and weakness. Your grace is enough. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, please forgive us when we moan and groan and complain and forget to look to you for your all surpassing power. Forgive us when we forget that when we are weak, then we are strong. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes ever on you and to help us to bear fruit while we persevere. Protect us from the enemy and all his evil schemes. Lord, may people see the work that you're doing in us and give you praise and glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for coming. And now we can be excused to our small groups. We'll see you in two weeks.